to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Good morning, Hillcrest family. Oh, I, my name is Shannon Kempt, um, and I am currently serving on the Kyle staff team at Washington State University. Go Cougs! Great. Just a couple. That's fine. Um, but before, I've been, I've been at WSU for two years, and before that, I was here many years among you um, as, with a Kyle staff team um, here at Western, um, known on campus as CCF. So it is... I am overwhelmed with the delight it is to be home. So many familiar faces here this morning. It's good to be home. Um, And while I have the chance, because I have the mic, and I can maybe move faster than Christian, maybe, I just want to take a moment and say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you, Hillcrest. Um, for your abundant and generous, faithful, long-term support of campus ministry. Um, This this community um, supports Chi Alpha here at Western, all the way down I-5 corridor, across the state to WSU, across the country, and across the world. Long-standing tradition of investing in college students' lives. And I just want to say, um, on behalf of my team um, and campus pastors everywhere that you support, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, this week um, is the second week of our summer series, Stories from the Holy Land. And we're getting glimpses and tastes of following Jesus in Israel with photos and stories and lessons from being there. Um, And today I want to take a bit of time uh, to share one of my most surprising aha moments in Israel three years ago when I got to go with our last Hillcrest group. Um, This aha moment happened in a most unexpected place, a place that seemed random and quite frankly, out of the way of the real drama of Jesus' story. And it came toward the beginning of our trip in and around Jerusalem. We had just left the Garden of Gethsemane, um, following Jesus into many of his last moments. And we were on our way to Bethlehem to, um, to step into some of his first moments. But we were making a stop first. Somehow I'd missed this on the itinerary. We were stopping at a place called the Herodium. And I was like, the Heroda what? (laughs) Why? What could be more important than going right to the place of Jesus' birth? It felt like a great, big, disconnected tangent. A side trip. I felt a little bit like being in the car as a kid going to Six Flags in Texas, and we were going to stop to see the world's biggest ball of yarn in Kansas or somewhere. (laughs) Why? Because dad wants to. That's why. Well, it took a bit, but the why became clear 
And it was one of my biggest awe and wonder moments of the trip in the land where Jesus walked. Now, before I tell you about that wonder moment, um, I'm going to pause and I'm going to tell you a little bit about King Herod, the guy who built the Herodium. And the Herodium was this fortress palace built out in the Judean wilderness. So I'm going to pause on the way to Bethlehem, just like we did on the trip. And I'm going to bring you into this tangent. We're going to talk about King Herod and the Herodium, hoping that I can draw you into the drama that I experienced during my time in Israel. So King Herod was known as Herod the Great. And he was called great, not because he was a great man, but because he was a great builder. He built many things, many extravagant things, including the Herodium. But he built these many wondrous, extravagant things for his name and for his glory. One of the things that I learned about the Herodium, Herod's desert palace, was that the Herodium, this mountain in the Judean wilderness, was created by Herod cutting the top off of a hill next door and piling it on top of another hill. He created the, so you can see, you can see the Herodium and this very strange half hill in the landscape. It's very arresting. Herod literally moved a mountain. He built the tallest hill in the region and he named it after himself. Are you getting a sense for this guy? Herod was also cunning and controversial, violent, but brilliant. Herod was was more Roman than Jewish, but he he wasn't really either. He wasn't Roman and he wasn't Jewish. His people... He came from a people who were cousins to the Jews, but he himself was not fully Jewish. He was a friend of Rome, but he was not Roman. He very much catered to high-profile Roman officials, and he lived a very Roman lifestyle. And yet, one of the things that he built up was the Temple Mount that Christian talked about last week. When when we go to Israel, we see the, the foundation stones that Herod built up the Temple Mount um, to placate the Jews. Rome elevated him as king over Judea, and he kept power by whatever means necessary, including killing members of his own family. He killed a wife, he killed sons, and he killed his brother. He was not above murder to keep power in Judea. So that's King Herod. um, And I want to take you to the Herodium itself with um, a couple of blurbs from my journal from Israel. This is very much a prized possession. So I'm going to read just a little bit from you, and we're going to see some pictures of the Herodium. At the Herodium, our eyes saw and our hands touched and our feet climbed the mountain from the inside. This is our dear friend Erica Palmer 
coming up behind me inside the mountain. We experienced his wealth, his power, his lavishness, his genius, and the lengths he would go to to maintain his position as king in Judea. Climbing up from the inside of the mountain, we came out into the blinding sun at the top. You remember the blinding sun? Yes, we remember this. It's very hot. We're in the desert. So this is um, a picture of our team up at the top of the Herodium. So we had a chance to kind of wander around, kind of take in what was there. Um, and then after a bit of time, Tim, our very beloved Tim Nip, standing on the wall of the Herodium with a very, you know, large drop if he took a step backwards. Tim um, gathered us around as a group um, for a teaching on Herod the Great and this great desert fortress palace. And I have to be honest, I was still buzzing a bit on the inside about our detour to the Herodium. And I'm a history person, so I was kind of getting into the history, and it was great, but I was still like, why aren't we in Bethlehem already? Enough of Herod and his great big hidden mountain palace with the inside stairs. Big deal. So Tim is up there on the wall, on the ledge. We're gathered around. See, there he is. And after he's, he, he's teaching us about Herod and the Herodium, some, most, some of which what I, is what I just shared with you. And after a time, Tim, in very Tim fashion, gestures to his left. I think this is actually the moment I took of him gesturing to the left. And he says something like this. Over my shoulder, off in the distance a bit, you can see Bethlehem sitting in the shadow of the Herodium. And Tim's teaching focus began to move toward Bethlehem, and my aha moment hit me like a ton of bricks. Standing there on that mountain, looking over toward Bethlehem, Tim began to speak of another king, a different kind of king. A king, born not to a king and a king in a palace, king and a queen in a palace, but a king born to peasants in a cave, perhaps like this. Jesus, a baby king placed in a manger made of stone, perhaps like this. A feeding trough for animals. Here was a king willing to be emptied of his power to live among his people. He was not a king who grasped for power and lived above and beyond his people. Here was a king not violently fighting to keep his power, but a king who would release power into the hands of others, sharing his authority. Here was a king not out to bring honor to his name or bring glory to himself, but to bring honor to the name of his father in heaven, the father of us all. 
He was a king that would move the mountain of sin in the lives of his followers rather than a king who moved a mountain of earth for his own sake. I was much surprised to find out that the Herodium was the perfect place to begin our journey to Bethlehem. After all, this King Herod was a character in Jesus' story too. He was king of Judea at the time of Jesus' birth. So we're going to turn to that story, Jesus' birth story in Matthew 2. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there with me. And we're not going to read the whole chapter. Um, I'm just going to read the verses pertaining to Herod and Jesus. You can read the whole chapter uh, maybe later today or on your own time. So I'm going to start in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 3. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Moving down to verses 7 and 8. Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Down to 13 through the first part of verse 15. When they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And finally, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Matthew's version of Jesus' birth story also speaks to the lengths that Herod would go to in order to retain a grip on his power and his authority as king. Jesus, this baby born king of the Jews, was rumored to be God's Messiah. And as such, he would have been a threat to Herod's rule. And we know what Herod did to those who threatened his rule. And in keeping with his life and his character, he, mur he ordered the murder of all the boys aged two and under in order to wipe out that threat. I don't even know how to talk about such an atrocity. Jesus would flee helpless and vulnerable in the arms of his parents to Egypt. The Herodium and Bethlehem. Two locations 
two very different kings, two different ways of living, two very different value systems. In fact, two very different kingdoms side by side in this land of tension. The kingdom of men and the kingdom of God. So why does all of this matter? Well, there are probably lots of reasons, um, but I thought of two. Herod, he's just a guy who's been dead a long time. He had his reign and then he died. And his desert fortress palace, once so fortified, so extravagant, so opulent, is now in ruins. Walking around the Herodium, it's really difficult to tell how magnificent it was. You know, you see the tunnels and the cisterns and, and, the, and the ruins on top, but it's so hard to visualize what it would have looked like in Herod's time because it's all in ruins. Everything he built is in ruins. But two billion people in our world today call Jesus their king. More than 2,000 years after his birth, death, and resurrection, resurrection. Jesus was raised to life and he is still loving, moving, acting, and building in our world today. Building not the kingdoms of men, but the kingdom of God in our midst. Matters because Jesus is still alive. Another reason, there have been and there are still many King Herod types in our world. Carving out kingdoms for themselves, seeking power and fame and wealth, currying the favor of stronger kings, and some even killing those they should be serving. But Jesus is the king who still receives any and all, not just the wealthy and well-positioned. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Jesus is the king who still moves a different kind of mountain. He moves the mountain of sin in our lives. He still seeks to serve and not be served. He still loves sacrificially. And he still, in great contrast to Herod, forgives his enemies. And he heals all who come to him. I love the hymn that Paul read to us from Philippians. And we're going to read it again. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. I think I have a little different version, so that's fun. Christ Jesus, being in the very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Remember back to King Herod, used everything to his own advantage. Thought he was God by moving a mountain, but he was not the God who made them. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, born in a cave to peasant parents, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, a God who would stoop down. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Oh yes, Jesus was and still is an altogether different kind of king. So different from Herod, so different from all the other kings in the world before and after him and all the kings of our day. But here's something I notice, maybe something that I feel when we talk about Jesus as king that the notion of a king is kind of hard to get our minds around in our American democratic culture. But really, when we talk about a king, we get into spaces of allegiance. We get into spaces of attention and service and devotion. And whether we live in a culture with a president or a prime minister a culture with a king or a queen or a tribal leader. We all, each one of us in this room, every person on the planet, we all give our allegiance, our service and devotion to something or someone. And it can even be ourselves. It can be a hobby. It can be a fitness guru a political party, a TV show, or a video game. The list is really quite endless. We can give our devotion to so many things. Whether we've been following Jesus for 40 years, four months, or four days, four hours, I think it's just good to take an opportunity to check in with ourselves just from time to time. To check in with our hearts, with our habits, with our schedules, with our Facebook posts, with our bank accounts, and simply ask the question, in this season, who is my king? Who is my king in this season? And we can think about our community here at Hillcrest and ask the same question. Is Jesus king of our community? Do our priorities, where we give, where we go, what we do, how we gather for fellowship or service, in this season, is Jesus our king? If something or someone other than Jesus gets the majority of our allegiance or devotion, something is amiss. But here's a bit of good news. 
there's always an invitation to repent. And that's a big, bad, scary Christian word. But all it really means is just turn around. You've been walking one direction. Just turn and walk the other way. Walk back to the king who loves you and serves you and has the best in mind for you. Who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. There's always an invitation to turn around, an invitation to adjust how we spend our time, what we do with our money, what we give our attention to that isn't in keeping with him or his ways or his character in our lives. Worship team, you all can can start making your way up and we'll get a little cozy here on the platform for just a moment. We, each of us, and as a community, we choose which king we follow. We choose which kind of kingdom we'll help to build every day in every season of our lives. And so I want us to take a moment um, as, as um, we gather here, smaller team, great. Um, and they're just going to play quietly in the background for a few moments. I don't want us to miss this opportunity for a little heart check. We're going to take a moment to reflect and to repent if needed. All it will take is, Jesus, oh, I think maybe you've been speaking to me about things I've been devoted to other than you lately and And I just want to tell you that I'd like you to be my king again. That's all. So do a quick mental heart survey of your life. Check your heart, your relationships, your bank account, how you spend your time, and ask the Lord, Jesus, are you still still my king? And And if he says, you know, Maybe not as much as I'd like. Okay, Lord, what what is the thing that you'd like me to lay down today? Come and be the king of all that I am and all that I do, all that I'm about. Jesus, we love you. You are the best kind of king there is. And so help us, Lord, to hear your voice as we reflect. Jesus, are you my king, our king? in this season. Let's just take a moment to reflect. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.